If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be wrapping up. I said this last week, we're going to finish up these next two weeks with uh, Unstuck, and I do want to make a I guess a shameless plug, the next uh, sermon series we're going to be going into, we're going to be going into a sermon series on the book of Second Peter. Um, and so you can start to read ahead if you want. If you're, if you're not actively involved in reading scripture, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is on your way out on this table, our next steps table, we have a reading plan that you begin to, to, to engage uh, the truth of Scripture in your life day in and day out. So Matthew chapter 6, and I want to let you know, um, a lot of people, when, when we start to talk about money, uh, it's one of those things that people are like, oh, great, here we go. This is one of those sermons from pastor that's going to tell us how to, how, to be, uh, uh, how to use our money and how we need to give uh, more to the church. And I want to let you know that one of the things I always tell everybody, and I'm going to make a precursor statement on this, Okay. And that is this, that while your money is your money, one of the things I always want to tell people is this, I believe that God can do more with 10% than I can do with 100. And I also want you to know this, that if you can't give cheerfully, because I believe the Bible says this, if you can't do it cheerfully, then I always tell everybody, dude, hold on to your money, because the attitude with which you give determines the response from the Lord. Okay, And so I'll always tell people this, if you give because somebody guilts you into giving, all right, in other words, you feel like, not based upon scripture, you feel that somebody has guilted you into giving, I would always tell you to hold on to your money because that's not cheerful giving, right? And, and today, while we're talking about this idea of money matters, I want you to think of it more from this perspective, how I allow my material possessions to control me determines what or who is sitting on my throne, okay? How I allow my material possessions to control me determines what or who is sitting on the throne. See, we live in a culture that's obsessed with things, right? We try to buy things to buy happiness. We try to buy things to be like others, we try to buy things because we think it'll make us feel better, right? Like one of the things that happened as a result of COVID, anybody know what happened when COVID happened? Does anybody know what happened with our economy and what happened with buying stuff? It did, well, it did raise the tax base of the government, but I want you to also understand this, like Amazon and all of these places actually boomed. Right? If you go back and look, I mean, don't get me wrong, Amazon and some of those places were already kind of going strong, but when COVID happened, Amazon boomed because you could sit at home and you could shop. Shopping was therapy for a lot of people. It was like, well, I can't go anywhere. I can shop. I can window browse on my computer and everything's fine. But here is what we begin to understand, right? Is that as we do that, we begin to kind of build up all of these material possessions. And don't get me wrong, things are okay, but it's when I allow those things to control me, to control my heart, to control my attitude, that we begin to go down a crazy scenario or a crazy situation. Now, I want to say this because I believe... Well, and I say this from that standpoint, I believe that we live in one of the greatest countries in the world. And I'll stand by that. And for those of us who enjoy this life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in this great nation, by the world standards, I want you to know that if you live in the United States, you're in the top 1% in the world. Now, you may not be in the top 1% within the United States based upon all the crazy chaos of the money that we've got going on, but I want you to understand 
If you are even at poverty level within the United States, you're still in the top 1% in the world. In the world. So I want you to place yourself in that situation in your life and not begin to look at money as the end of all things, but money as a tool to be used, or even our material possessions as a tool to be used to present or share the gospel. So that's going to be the standard today. Will Rogers said it this way. For those of you who don't know who Will Rogers is, just Google it. You can look it up. Famous uh, actor. But he says this, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Right? Like maybe it's the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. But I want to look at Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to go back, as we talked about just a little while ago, and we're going to kind of remember what goes on in Joshua when there was a gentleman who went in and took what he thought he deserved, when in reality it was to be set apart for the Lord, all right? So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, listen to what it says here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures where? On earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So on earth versus heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the reality with material possessions or money or anything else like that. When we allow the material possessions to control our heart, what it's saying is that where your heart is, or then you're going to have that problem, right? So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if I look at life, if I approach life with this attitude that it's all about gaining material possessions and it's all about getting money, then what I find is that I put my heart into those things. You guys get that? Right? Like that money becomes the end of all things. Like I am pushing or pursuing for money and material possessions and all of that. And the problem becomes, though, when we allow that thing, those possessions, to sit on the throne of our heart, then we begin to make bad decisions, right? We begin to allow things like this. Well, it's okay. I can neglect my family because I'm pursuing money to perform or to provide for them in a greater way. And that ends up becoming a massive issue. Because what we do is we neglect our responsibility as a father or mother to disciple our kid. Instead, we think, well, if I provide all of this stuff for them, then they'll be okay. And in reality, what we end up seeing is kids walking away from the faith because we didn't make discipleship and growing in Jesus a priority. We made it all about providing for our family. And so there's a balance here that we have to begin to understand. And this idea of of playing this out has to be something that we take into heart because obedience in all areas, including our material possessions and money, will lead to obedience in God in all things. Listen to what he says in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, let me clarify. The Bible is very clear that money is not evil. That material possessions aren't evil. It's when the love of money 
is what leads to evil. In other words, I love money more than anything else, or I love my material possessions more than anything else. Now, while you sit there and you say, well, that's great, what does this got to do with being unstuck? Let me clarify a couple of things from a biblical point of view. I believe that most people get stuck financially and with material possessions because we are very immature with our attitudes towards them from a biblical perspective. We approach money and material possessions as a child in a candy store. Anybody ever taken a kid to a candy store? Or let's, let's even maybe throw it out there. Maybe your kids are older. A kid at GameStop with an unlimited fund, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like if I have a kid at a candy store who has money, right, and he's going to be the one who goes. Like we went to, when we got our layover in Vegas, we decided to go to the M&M store. You ever been to an M&M store? It is crazy. It was three levels down on the strip in Vegas, three levels of M&Ms. Like I didn't know they had that many M&Ms. And you go up to the top level back in this back corner and you can personalize your M&Ms. Like you can upload a picture and then they'll print them on the M&Ms. Or you could put your name on the M&Ms. You could get all kinds of things. And so I take my kids in to the M&M store. And I'm like, hey, we're going to go and we're going to check it out. They wanted to see it. I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. So we get into the M&M store. And right in front of us, I wish I had a picture. I probably should have picked her up. There's like 50 like tall glass cylinders, different kinds of M&Ms. I got any know that had that many M&Ms. You got the Rice Krispie Crunch M&Ms. You got plain M&Ms. You got these, these uh, almond M&Ms. You got the peanut butter M&Ms. You got caramel filled M&Ms. You got, uh, and then you got just the regular ones. Then you had the pretzel M&Ms. And then they had pretzel M&Ms that were certain colors. And it was just, it was a crazy chaos. But here's what happens financially or here's what happens with material possessions oftentimes when we come from an immature aspect, Right? My kids began to go, Dad, can we get M&M's? I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like $7 a pound. Well, I know. We're just going to get like a half a pound. I'm like, oh my gosh. We walk out of the M&M store, and I I say we have a pound. I spent like $18 on M&M's, and I look, and we got two bags. And I'm sitting there thinking, golly, that was stupid. (laughs) Right? Right? This is that immature aspect of like, oh, okay, we'll do it. We're in Vegas. So everybody does things in Vegas that you don't do. But it, here's, here's what happens. When I approach things from a biblical perspective, then I can look at my material possessions and my money with a mature attitude rather than immaturity. And immaturity, I believe, goes right back to what we said. We try and buy things to buy happiness. That's an immature attitude. We buy things to be liked by others, or we buy things because we think it'll make us feel better, right? And all of those things are immature attitudes, or let's even say this, we buy things because we think we deserve them. And if we go back to Joshua, if you were to remember Joshua chapter 6, in Joshua chapter 6, they're going into Jericho, and the Lord says, listen, everything in Jericho is mine. You're not to take any of the devoted things, right? It's like the first fruits of what goes on. In other words, the first 10%, you're going to go into this land, you're going to conquer this land, but listen, the first 10% is all about me. This is all about mine. It's it's what I've got. I'm going to provide for you. You have to understand what's going on. And so these guys, they go in, they take Jericho, the walls of Jericho fall down, and we see this one guy named Achan, right? 
You remember the story. And Achan goes in and he takes some of the devoted things and he goes back and he hides them. Most likely because he thought, man, I've been struggling for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. Look at all the good things I've done. Look at how hard I worked. Like, Lord, I've been obedient and everything and I'm gonna keep this because it's mine. And listen, that's oftentimes how we will approach our finances with God. God, I've worked hard. God, you don't understand what all I've been doing. And you don't see how financially where I was at, and now here I am. Like, I was barely making ends meet with quail and manna and water, and now here I am walking to the promised land, and I'm gonna keep this stuff for me because now I got a little bit more. And what ends up happening is Achan, we know, is put to death along with his family. And in Joshua chapter eight, the Lord says, listen, from here on out, everything that you conquer is yours. I've given it over to you because it's that first fruits. You're faithful with the first fruits, then I will give you everything else. And that's why I've always stood by this statement. In my own life, in our personal lives, in the way we give and with what generosity and material possessions is this. That God can do more with a simple 10% than I can do with all 100 on my own. So here's the big idea, the big statement today. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. That our attitude toward money reflects the nature of our heart and reveals what's on our throne. Or maybe even who's on our throne. Because in our lives, oftentimes we'll say, yeah, Jesus is on the throne. But with money, it's like, yeah, nope, I am. I dictate what's going to go on. I dictate how it's going to be. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Do you get that statement? Remember what I said. For love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money's not bad. Material possessions aren't bad. It's when we allow the love of those things to overwhelm everything else. Whoever loves money never has enough. Anybody ever been in that situation? Like, if I just had a little bit more, right? If I, if I just had, like, I used to make statements like this. God, if you'll let me be a professional baseball player, I'll do everything for your glory. Well, who wouldn't want that, especially at today's rates, right? Like, I, I wouldn't mind signing a Patrick Mahomes contract for the NFL. Like, who doesn't want $50 million a year? And there's nothing wrong. Please hear me out when I say that. There is nothing wrong with people who have done that. But I would say this. Do you honor God in everything first, in the first fruits? Do I honor him in all ways? And so here's the question I want to ask. How do I look at my possessions? How do I look at my possessions that I can move into a mature person biblically? Number one is this. We are stewards of the blessing God gives us. We are stewards, not owners, of the blessings God gives us. That's a key thing for us to begin to understand because stewardship is the heart of everything. See, the key to experiencing God's blessing in my finances and my possessions is obedience because I am a steward. A matter of fact, if you were to read Genesis, we go back and read Genesis 1, when, or in, in really into in chapter 3, when, when he sticks Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, you're to work the land. You are to be stewards of the land. A matter of fact, he even tells Adam that you are to steward the birds of the air the fish of the sea. You are to be wise with how you act. You are to be wise with how you relate with and connect with those as well as what you do. 
This is why for me as a hunter, and I know some of you are like, well, some people are anti-hunting, anti-guns. This is why for me as a person who hunts is a wide stewardship, right? I don't just go out and just shoot any old animal. Matter of fact, I want to make sure that when I do shoot an animal, it's going down. I'm not going to wound it, hurt it, let it run off. That's wise stewardship. And likewise, same with farming or, or anything else like that, that we are wise stewards of what the Lord gives us. See, you don't have to be rich to love money. Matter of fact, I would tell you this. I have met a lot of people who don't have a lot of money that love money. And they show they love money because they blow through money like it's going out of style. I mean, that's, that's just a, a point blank statement. You don't have to be rich. And that's where I think it's funny because I've heard people say, well, rich people, they just love money. Well, I'm not going to deny it. Some probably do. But I also want you to know, you don't have to be rich to love money or to be in love with your possessions. See, God's chief competition, according to this section of scripture, God's chief competition for your life is money or your possessions. Do I put my trust in God or do I continue to put my trust in my material possessions and my money? Most of our attitudes towards money stem from greed. Most of our attitudes towards money stem from greed. Andy Stanley says it this way, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. I like that. Greed is the assumption that everything I have, money, material possessions, is all for my consumption. And I mean, we could spend, and maybe we will in, in the future again, we'll do a series on just being wise stewards of what God gives us, like what it means to bless others and be a person who's generous and how to give with, with a great heart and a, a cheerful attitude. But listen, what we see is that Adam and Eve were called to be stewards. We're called to be stewards. Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So listen, when I say this statement, we are stewards of the blessing God gives us, that is a statement we have to align our lives with in order to be successful financially and with our possessions. And listen, the minute I say that statement, in order to be successful, most people think, oh, that means to be rich. Or, oh, that means to be with lots of material possessions. No. You don't have to have a lot of money to be successful biblically from a financial and material possession standpoint. It's faithful. This is, the, this is where I think American Christianity oftentimes misses out because we think this idea of being a good steward means I'm going to be loaded and filthy rich. When being a good steward means I'm just being faithful and obedient. Right? I would, I would as a pastor, I would look back and I'd say, I'll take somebody like the, the, the faithful woman who gives her last penny in a faithful, loving, obedient way. Because God says she gave more out of the overflow of her heart than the person who has a lot and gives nothing. So we gotta be good stewards. How do I look at my possessions? I steward, or I am to be a steward of the blessing God gives. So here's how that plays out. If I'm rich financially, I'm loaded with material possessions, I'm still a steward of what God has blessed me with. If I don't have a lot, you are still a steward of the blessings that the God has given you with. And please hear me out when I say this, you are stewards of your children. We as a church are stewards of the kids who come in. We as a church are stewards of each other in reality. Matter of fact, that's basically what a pastor is. A pastor is a shepherd who stewards his people well. 
And I'm going to be held accountable for that. And our teachers and our life group leaders are going to be held accountable as stewards of the groups that they lead. Those are things that all play out because it's God's blessing upon the church that we steward the people with. See, stewardship is the commitment to manage what God has given through his blessing in a way that reaps rewards and benefits for me and others eternally. You get that statement? Stewardship is the commitment to manage what God has given through his blessings in a way that reaps rewards and benefits for me and for others eternally. That's stewardship. So I can allow my money and my material possessions to, again, what we see, store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. So since my money is God's money, every spending decision I make is spiritual. So for those people who would say, see, I told you it's just a pastor thing. No, it's a maturity thing. As I read scripture, you can go all throughout scripture. As a matter of fact, I challenge you, go throughout scripture and start to look up money and find out what the Lord says. Find out what the Bible says consistently over and over and over again about money. And listen, I know some pastors stand. As a matter of fact, I saw a pastor this week say that the tithe is outdated and Jesus, we're no longer under the law. And I'm going to argue that. And I'll be like, yeah, you're right. We're no longer under the law. But if you read what the Bible says, you read what Jesus says. He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus never lowered the standard. He always raises it. Matter of fact, to a point where Jesus at one point says, listen, you have heard that I said, don't commit murder, but if you look at a brother hatefully, you've committed murder on your heart. He didn't lower the standard, did he? He raises the standard. If you look at a brother with hate, you've committed murder in your heart. In every circumstance, he does that. Now, so I say that to say this. I am a believer based upon the biblical truth because I don't believe that Jesus did away with the tithe. I believe that Jesus raises the bar on generosity within the church. So I hold to a 10%. I will tell you that to this day. I've heard, I've heard people tell, uh, tell me, well, I'm a pastor and I don't get paid a lot, so we don't tithe. And what I would tell you is this, as a pastor, I always tithe. We have been faithful with the tithe from the get-go. Faithful to the point where we had no money and all of a sudden we got money in an envelope one day right after we got married. I've told this story before for people who've been here for the last nine years, 10 years. They've heard this story and guarantee it. My wife and I made $18,000 our first year of marriage, but yet somehow paid off $10,000 in school loans and lived. And it didn't make sense when I do the math because I did our checkbook all the time and it didn't make sense. And we got to a point one time we paid off all our bills and we had no money for the next two weeks. We filled up our car, we bought our groceries, zero dollars. And her aunt sent us $10 cash in an envelope and said, listen, I know money's probably tight. Go get yourself a burger, have a date night. Now, you and I know $10 wouldn't buy me a Happy Meal at, <laughs> at McDonald's nowadays. So that'll, that'll show you the time constraints of what's going on. But when we were first married, $10 bought us a good meal on a date night in Bolivar, Missouri at a Burger King. All right? So we've been there, done that. But I am a steward of the blessings God gives. Number two, if our attitude toward money reflects the nature of our heart and reveals what's on our throne, then how do I look at my possessions? Number two, I have to build treasure in heaven by using the blessings God gives. You ever notice this statement, right? 
It's based upon the blessings of the Lord. We're stewards of the blessing, number one. Number two, we're to build treasure in heaven by using the blessings God gives. In other words, stewarding them again. You ever heard that song, Can't Buy Me Love? Now I got it in everybody's head, at least if you know it. Can't buy me love. Oh, anybody? No, sorry, I'll spare you. We don't need another Christmas Eve uh, ceremony. (laughs) So, all right. But listen, money and possessions can't get you into heaven. Money cannot buy you the love of Jesus. Giving to the church does not purchase you a seat in eternity. So it's important for us to understand that we're building treasures in heaven. So I use what the Lord has blessed me as a way to be a blessing to other people to build up treasures in heaven. One of the most secure places to protect and invest your resources is in eternity. There is beauty in what we do with that. And here's the question most of us ask. Well, what's in it for me? What will I have to show for it? And I believe that Jesus asks a better question. Who will you have to show for it? In other words, what do you put your material possessions, your finances toward? How can you invest in the kingdom by investing in other people? How do you show the love of Jesus to other people by using what you have to be a blessing to those who are around you? It may be the simple way. Listen, please hear me out when I say this. It may be the simple gift of being hospitable and inviting people to your house. To use your house as a blessing to encourage, to love on, and to share with other people. That's the beauty of stewarding because stewardship is stewarding or using the blessings that God has already given me to be able to bless and encourage others in a great way. And who knows? Please hear me out when I say this because I believe there is a point in time in our American culture where church buildings will cease to exist. A matter of fact, all you got to do is go online. You can watch Facebook, watch people's statements right now. And I'll, I will be point blank honest with you. There are people who are calling out saying churches should pay taxes. Well, if that's the case, fine. Planned Parenthood should too. Churches who bring benefit and people who kill babies. Who should pay taxes? And you can sit back and you say, oh, that's not right. Yeah, you know, it's true. Planned Parenthood is destructive. They may have some good things going on, but they are set out to destroy the family. It was set up to destroy the family, not to help. So when I hear people say that churches say pay taxes, I want you to know from this standpoint, number one, I don't believe we should. But number two is this, if we do, which I believe at some point we will, because our government is just going that direction and we're, we're having people call out for it, that our church won't be able to financially make it. I want you to know that. We pay over $27,000 a year. By the time we pay insurance, lights, and electric, that's 27 grand a year. If we were to have to pay taxes, we're looking at between $35,000 and $40,000 a year in property tax and stuff like that. Our average budget since I've been here has been just over $100,000. It would be financially impossible to make it. Impossible. And I'm fine with that because God doesn't dwell in buildings. God dwells in hearts. The church is a people, not a building. But I want you to understand this. If we're to be wise biblically, then we would have to look and say, how do I use my house as a church? 
How do I use my house to house the people of the Lord to come together? Do you see what ends up taking place? Because we build treasure in heaven by using the blessing God gives us. And those blessings are gonna be houses and homes and opportunities, maybe businesses and things like that. But I believe at some point, our American government will make it impossible for churches to survive. Because they're going to try and tax people out of it. Which means, and I'm just going to say this from a pastoral standpoint, if you stop getting benefit to give to the church because you're getting a tax break, then usually, I'm just going to tell you, this will show you where the money is, all right, or show you where the heart is, usually people stop giving. Well, I'm not getting a tax break. I'm not going to give. Why would I give to that place? It's just the way it is. But listen, the church is a benefit for all those people around. Matter of fact, if you were to go back in history, look at the starting of most hospitals in the United States. Do you know who started them? churches. Most nonprofits back in the day were started by churches who set out to reach people to accomplish great things. But then, listen, greed rises to the top. And greed allows people to say, hey, we're going to start a nonprofit, and that nonprofit's going to kill babies. Or that nonprofit's going to work towards these types of circumstances and scenarios that are completely unbiblical. See, everything is a tool God wants to use for you to learn, or sorry, everything is a tool God wants you to learn how to use in order to impact others for eternity. So what do you have that you can use to impact people with the gospel? So you may be generous with your money, you may be generous with everything you have, and I believe that everything we have is a tool. So you figure out, how do I use my car? How do I use my house? How do I use a boat? How do I use kitchen tables? How do I use my back porch? How do I use the fire pit? Whatever it is, to be a blessing, to be a steward, because God opens up opportunities for you to speak the truth to those who have never heard. And number three, how do I look at my possessions? Number one, we said we're stewards of the blessings. Number two, we can build treasure in heaven, and that's what he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And number three, we serve God faithfully, in our finances. Listen to what he says in verse 24 again. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we play this out in this avenue or this way. I use my money and my material possessions to serve the Lord because I'm a steward and it's already his. And when I look at it from a proper biblical perspective, God says, listen, everything's mine. I've just given you stewardship in order to be faithful with those things. And here is where it gets crazy. Because God says, when you're faithful with the little things, I will give you more. I will bless you with more. And when you're faithful with being a good steward with what the Lord has have you, he says, I'm going to give you more to steward. We see that all throughout scripture. As a matter of fact, there's a point in time where there's this parable that Jesus says, and it says that the, the owner went away and he gave one guy five, one guy two, and one guy one talent, Right? And the guy with five doubled it and made it 10. And the guy with two doubled it and made it four. And then the guy with one said, well, I was, I was worried. So I buried it. And listen, that's oftentimes the way a lot of us operate with our finances. Well, I'm just going to hold it back. I don't have much. And I know you've given me something, Lord, but I'm going to hold on to it. because, And that is where the problem becomes an issue. The reason it becomes the issue is because we show that the money is what owns us. And the person who buries it 
doesn't want to lose it, but not only does he not want to lose it, he doesn't even want to use it. And so we miss out on the stewardship and the blessing that God wants to give because it says, listen, those who doubled were called faithful stewards or faithful servants. And the one who didn't, he was called out. So listen, when we say this statement, when we come to this understanding that how we look at my possessions, how I steward them faithfully, I serve God faithfully in my finances in every way. See, God's chief competition for your heart is oftentimes possessions and money. Rick Warren says it this way, most people fail to see that money is both a test and a trust from God. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, I don't know how you parent, but there's been times where I'm like, okay, here's some money. I'm going to see how they operate with this. Now, it's funny how oftentimes when it's like, it's my money, I I look at things completely different, right? If you were to come up and give me a hundred bucks and say, hey, do with it whatever you want, I'd probably go out and do something with it. But if you ask me to go to the bank, take out a hundred dollars, now it's like, wait a second. Why? Because it's It's mine right? Like, but if it's yours, I'm, I'm good at spending other people's money maybe, right? Like my kids are really good at spending my money. But when it comes to mine, it's like, well, hold on a second. No way. I was talking with some buddies the other day and he, he, one of the guys said his, his brother was going out for a $500 meal. I was like, $500 for a meal? And he goes, yeah, him and his wife, some special place. I'm like, look, I've spent $150 a meal twice because we had gift cards. Ain't no way I'm spending my own money, $150 on a meal. <laughs> and I know you may think that, oh, that guy's cheap or whatnot, but like $150 on a meal, I could go out and buy a, well, I could get a whole deer process that I shot. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good on that. So, but listen, first give yourself to God. Then giving your possessions will be easy and joyful. Remember what I said at the start. God loves a cheerful giver. And so I believe it's our responsibility, right, to be generous with what the Lord has blessed us with. Because listen, here's the reality, that the father was generous because he sent and gave his son. And as he gave the son, that son sacrificed everything to the point of death for the sins of you and me. And what we see in the cross is this aspect where Jesus dies on the cross, giving everything for us. And then he calls us to be stewards of the things he gives to us. And as we steward those things, we build up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy, or we build up treasures on earth where moth and rust do destroy. I've had lots of friends. I've had lots of people I've, I've done funerals for. But I've had people say, oh man, I, you know, I, I'm going to leave people a great blessing. And I've had other people say, I'm not leaving anything. I'm taking it all with me. And I've, I've been like, how are you going to do that? Like that's, that's old school Egyptian and, and even other religious beliefs. That's why pharaohs built massive pyramids. And then they would put all their material possessions in there because they thought they could take it with them. When the reality is, last I checked, 
you die, you ain't taking your rolls or your Bentley or whatever else. I mean, you ain't taking your Toyota. <laughs> it's not going with you. You're not able to go and with, make a bank withdrawal and load it up and put it in your, in your casket and all of a sudden have money on the other side. Like I even think about it this way. The Bible says that heaven is going to be streets of gold. I don't know about you, but asphalt down here is uh, not exactly loaded with a lot of money. So all the things that you hold of value here on earth aren't going to be worth squat in eternity. But they are worth something when you use your material possessions, your finances to invest in the kingdom, to share the love of Jesus with other people, to be faithful with, with what God has given you. See, rich people are not generous. Poor people are not generous. Generous people are generous. God is generous in that he sent his son, and we are to call or to be just like that, to follow the leadership of Jesus day in and day out. Because Jesus never mentioned that it's how many hours you spend in prayer. He never mentioned it's all about how many hours you spend reading the Bible or attending church. If you want to know what sits as the king of your heart, look at how you look at material possessions and finances. And that's the struggle. How we steward what we assume is ours reflects our devotion to the one to whom it belongs to in the first place. Let's pray. Father, we know that we all can grow in generosity, knowing that, number one, you gave everything by sending your son. You were faithful. You were loving. You are righteous. And you bought and purchased us through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And you call us to be stewards of all things. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified by our lives. God, I think of Romans chapter 12, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. And God, in the midst of offering our bodies and laying our lives on line, what we say is that we're also laying all the blessings that you have given us at the feet of the cross to be used for your honor and your glory. God, may we think of ways of how we can bless others, how we can invite people into our homes, how we can be hospitable, to use the very things that you have blessed us with to be faithful to the end and to walk in obedience. God, I don't want to be, and I don't want our church to be, a church that's solely thinking about and constantly reflecting on money. But God, we also know that maturity comes as we look at money and material possessions in a biblical way. That you would lead us and guide us to be faithful in the little things so that you can bless us with even larger things to see your kingdom expanded. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in what we do, even in our finances. And maybe there's some today who would say, man, I, I just don't like this. This has been rough. I don't, it's hard to hear somebody talk about this. But God, may we have open hearts that your spirit would correct us, that he would lead us, And that, Lord, we would align our hearts and our beliefs with your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.